welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Jeff Gaudet. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. To get started, I want to thank everyone that took us up on our offer last week to send us a rating on iTunes and either star rate us or leave a comment. Those are very helpful for us, so I want to reach out and thank Bob Woolmer, Frederick Mulheron, and Mark Etchelbaum of Teach2Run.com. I appreciate your comments. Um, if anybody else wants to leave us a comment, please head over to iTunes and give us a star rating or a review. They're very helpful, and they help us reach new audience, uh, new audience members and help educate new runners. With that said, let's get started on this week's uh, podcast. We're going to be talking with Nancy Clark, who is a renowned nutritionist, and she's going to show you step-by-step step how you can simplify your nutrition for optimal training and racing. For those who don't know, Nancy Clark is one of the most respected and influential sports nutritionists in the world. Perhaps she is best well-known for her best-selling nutrition book, Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. She's also penned The Food Guide for Marathoners, Tips for Everyday Champions, which is also a good book for marathon nutrition. On our show today, Nancy is going to help you simplify your nutrition and help answer some tricky questions when it comes to sustainable weight loss and marathon racing. Specifically, we're going to cover how to manage weight loss by following the simple practice of fueling by day, dieting by night. We're also going to uh, talk about how to establish food buckets to make meal decisions easy and to help you structure a nutrition plan that works for you. We also cover nutrition during the marathon, including how many calories an hour to take in and different food choices, choices to help you fuel your race. If you want to reference any of the material that we reference in this podcast, you can visit runnersconnect.net slash rc28. We also have a comment section at that link that you can leave your comments and questions, and we'll definitely get back to you to answer any follow-up questions you have about this podcast. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we're really excited today to have Nancy Clark with us. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Nancy. Well, thanks, Jeff, for inviting me. Awesome. So nutrition is definitely a, a very vast and big topic. Uh, so what we want to do today is actually keep our conversation to two specific things. Um, that way we can really dig deep and give people some useful information. Um, and we're going to stick to marathon nutrition, both training and on race day, um, and weight loss. So to get started, uh, I'd like to start with weight loss. Um, and I'm going to ask you probably one of the most general questions, but I think it's going to help us dig a little bit deeper into some of the, some of the issues that you see with the runners that you work with. Um, but what are some of the most common mistakes that you see when runners try to lose weight, both in general and when it comes to maintaining running performance? The biggest mistake that I see is that runners uh, think that if they starve themselves, they'll lose weight quicker mm -hmm. and they'll be more successful. But actually, when they diet at breakfast and diet at lunch, they end up getting ravenous. And physiologically, when you get too hungry, the body wants to overeat. Mm -hmm. and, and so that they end up blowing it at night and eating way more than they want. And then they get mad at themselves and then they go back on their diet and have their flake of Special K for breakfast and their leaf of lettuce for lunch. And then they get too hungry and they blow it again at night and eat the whole thing of ice cream. Mm -hmm. And then they get up the next day. And so when it comes to effective dieting, you know, the best thing is to fuel by day and diet by night. 
So I encourage the runners that I work with to um, to sort of reverse what they're doing and have a hearty breakfast and lunch and then a lighter dinner. Interesting. Um, and, and now is that just based on your experience or is there um, some research that kind of backs up uh, that type of eating philosophy in sense of the timing of the meals? Yeah, there, there's good research that's coming out. And, and what the research is really showing is that when you have a high-protein breakfast, when you have 25, 30 grams of protein at breakfast, which is, um, you know, a couple of eggs scrambled in with a cup of, you know, scrambled in eggs and cottage cheese together, mm-hmm. that could be a high-protein breakfast. Or if you have, like, a dinner-sized piece of chicken for breakfast, um, so that when you eat a protein-rich breakfast, that people, it's very satiating. And people are less hungry during the day, and at nighttime, they're able to eat about 200 calories less than if they were have a standard oatmeal breakfast or bagel breakfast or some toast or uh-huh. English muffin type of a breakfast. So that protein's the key because it's very satisfying. Uh-huh. So to have, um, you know, if you think about it, back in the days before American was obese, everybody had these great big hearty country breakfasts. Uh-huh. And they had their bacon and eggs and hash browns and and uh, toast, and people weren't obese. And since we started having lighter breakfasts, or even skipping breakfast, you know, the, the incidence of skipping breakfast has paralyzed the rise and par- paralleled the rise in obesity. Uh-huh. So I, I, I encourage um, runners to think about when they're eating and to be as nice to their body as they are to their car. You have a car, you put gas in it, and it goes. You have a body. You put food in it. It goes a lot better. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Um, so I want to dig into a little you bit. There, about... I've just lost you. Oh, oh. sorry. Um, can you hear me now? Yep. Okay, great. Yep. Um, so that that's a great analogy, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into the to the bigger breakfast type of thing. Um, so what if uh, runners do a majority of their training in the morning? Um, how do you suggest uh, that they uh, should they feel before they run at least a little bit, and then eat the heartier breakfast after? Um, or is there something that they should shift if they're doing a majority of their training early? Well, when I work with clients, I, I have a private practice in the Boston area where I work a lot of people one-on-one. Uh-huh. And the first thing I do is estimate their calorie needs, their energy needs. And then I divide that into four food buckets. So, for example, you know, a female runner might need 2,400, 2,700 calories a day. A male runner might need you know, 2,700, 3,000 or so. These are just numbers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you divide that into four food buckets, because um, people get hungry every four hours. For example, I have breakfast at 7, lunch at 11, and mm-hmm. when you have lunch at 11, what do you do the rest of the day? You have a second lunch at 3, and then dinner at 7. Okay. So for someone, so most runners have at least 600, 700 calories in each bucket. So okay. that would be 2,400 2,800 calories, believe it or not, <laughs> even if they're dieting that have 500 calories per bucket. Um, so if you've got 500, 600, 700 calories in your breakfast bucket, and if you train in the morning, maybe you have a banana before you run for 100 calories, and then you have the rest of your breakfast afterwards. You, so you sort of divide your breakfast bucket into fueling up and refueling. And when you eat in the morning, when you run in the morning, then by 10 or 11, you're ready for lunch. Um, and, and that's when you want to have an earlier lunch. Mm-hmm. And again, it's to refuel. So I, I teach um, runners how to always think about food as fuel. And they're either fueling up, 
fueling during, if they're running for more than two hours, mm -hmm. refueling afterwards. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a great great way to look at it, um, and, and I appreciate that that breakdown of the four buckets. I think that's really helpful for a lot of people. Oh, people love their food buckets. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't, and, right? <laughs> and, and, and the trick is to have at least three different kinds of food in a bucket. Okay. So just having oatmeal isn't a balanced diet. But if you have oatmeal and you cook it with milk and you add some nuts and some dried fruits, that's even four different kinds of foods. So the, so the choices per bucket, you want a protein-rich food, a grain food, fruit or vegetable, and a calcium-rich food, such as milk or soy milk. Mm -hmm. Or yogurt or cheese. Okay. Um, and if you have three, at least three, if not four of those foods in each bucket, then you get the balanced diet. You get the protein that you need for your muscles. You get the calcium you need for your bones. You get the vitamins you need from your fruits and vegetables and the carbs that you need to fuel your muscles from the grains. Mm -hmm. and, and so timeline, four food buckets, a food bucket every four hours, and the clock starts ticking when you get up. So college students often have, um, like, brunch at 11, and then a lunch at 3. You change that word snack to lunch. And then they have dinner at 7, and then a second dinner at 11, 11 at night. And, and so, like I say, it, the, every four hours, every four of the waking hours, you can sort of figure out... Um, the schedule that works best for you. And if you train in the afternoon, then you fuel up with your breakfast bucket, your lunch bucket, your second lunch bucket. Maybe it's fueling up and refueling your recovery food, and then you have your, your dinner. Um, but it, it's an individual conversation based on each person's lifestyle and what their stomach can tolerate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, so when, when we talk about weight loss, especially when it comes to running, I think, uh, at least in my uh, experience, there are kind of two different uh, types of people when it comes to weight loss. There are the people that are uh, trying to lose weight because they're overweight and maybe unhealthy and are taking up running, and that's one of the big reasons that they're taking up running. And then we have in the other group people that are very fit and looking to potentially lose weight to benefit performance. Um, from the performance side, um, do you, is there a way for an athlete to tell when losing weight is going to be helpful versus when losing weight is going to impact muscle mass uh, or, or recovery and then actually uh, the, the act of losing weight is actually not going to improve performance? If, does that yeah. question make sense? Yeah, good, good question. Um, if a person has fat to lose, they'll tend to lose it. You have to trust appropriate eating, appropriate activity, and the body gravitates to an appropriate weight. And if you are, um, let's say, eating evenly throughout the day, then come the end of the day, you just sort of chip away a little bit. And if your body loses weight, then you have weight to lose. But if you find that you're exercising more and more and eating less and less and the scale isn't budging, then that's a sign to me that nature doesn't want the person to lose weight. So it's important to look at genetics. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Okay. So I have people, I ask them, how do you look compared to others in your genetic family? And they'll say, oh, I'm leaner than they are. And, and it's like, it's no wonder that they are having trouble losing weight because they're already thin for their genetics. Mm -hmm. And it gets to be a body image issue. And in, in the animal kingdom or in the dog kingdom, 
dogs come in many different sizes and shapes. And there are St. Bernard's and there are Greyhounds and there are, um, you know, Poodles and Chihuahuas and Labradors. And, you know, that St. Bernard has no desire to be a Greyhound. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the... You know, Chihuahua has no desire to be a poodle, and and they're all content with their and very proud of their body. Mm-hmm. And in the human kingdom, bodies do come in different sizes and shapes. Even top athletes' bodies come in different sizes and shapes. Absolutely. So it's important to fuel your machine. And I have so many runners that come to me and say, "Oh, if I just would lose weight, I'd be faster." Well, this one woman I was working with. I mean, her performance was getting slower and slower, and she said, oh, I must be, it's all this weight. If I just diet and lose weight, I'll be better. Well, she was starving herself, and the problem was that she was anemic. It had nothing to do with her weight. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people don't think that there are other reasons or other ways to enhance their performance. They just think, oh, if I'm thinner, I'll be better. It's like, no, maybe if you are anemic and you take iron supplements, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I found that as well, and, and I, I find it with a lot of the higher performing athletes that I work with that they should they would actually benefit by eating more um, and even putting on a pound or two and, and basically ensuring that they're overfueling themselves, uh, then try to lose weight because I think that performance benefit is really negligible when when it comes to that. Um, Precisely. I yeah. mean, if someone's lugging around, you know, 15 extra pounds of flab, then, right. uh, I mean, yeah, they'll be, it'll be easier for you. But if you have to restrict your eating in order to maintain a very abnormally low weight, I really question whether it's really worth it. Mm-hmm. And so often these people end up getting injured. And, you know, you can't be a good runner when you're on the sidelines. Very true. Very true. Um, so for those people that are overweight or definitely have that uh, fat to lose or, or that body weight to lose, um, is there a general way that you suggest people to lose weight, especially when it comes to maintaining uh, good training performance if they're training for a marathon or half marathon or something like that? Um, a lot of the conventional wisdom says, you know, roughly four to 600 calories a week. Um, is that something that you agree with or is there a different approach that you typically take uh, when you generally talk about that type of weight loss? Well, I'd look at fueling by day, dieting at night. Okay. Um, and so that they eat their breakfast, they eat their lunch, they have a second lunch, they ruin their appetite, and then at nighttime they chip away a little bit. Um, it's slow and steady weight loss that we're looking for. You can't lose weight quickly and keep it off. It just doesn't work. So we're just chipping away. And as you said, if you chip away... You know, theoretically, you chip away 100 calories at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, that's 10 pounds of fat loss a year. Now, some of that depends if you have fat to lose. Now, you, you can knock off your calories at the end of the day and not lose anything if you just don't have fat to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only time to be hungry or to be, yeah, to be hungry is if you wake up in the morning and you're ready for breakfast, then you can go, aha! I lost weight last night when I was sleeping. Um, but you don't want to lose weight during the day because you need to be fueling up and refueling. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask my clients, like I was working with this, you know, one person, I said, well, you know, what could you eat less of at night? And, you know, one person said, well, I could knock off the beer. <laughs> that was it. 
you know, in other words, well, I guess I really don't have to have, you know, four cookies with my tea. You know, another person said, well, maybe I can, you know, stop eating my kids' leftovers. So, you know, a lot of people know where they could cut back. And, and it's just little changes that can make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think I know this question, uh, the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I do want to get your opinion. Um, what do you think of uh, kind of taking that, that maintenance approach that you're talking about or using uh, kind of carb or calorie cycling where you have um, days where you're higher, ca higher calorie carbohydrates when you're uh, training uh, like your workout days? Uh, and then scaling it back on days where either you're resting or to have a, an easier run. Um, do you find that to be an effective method, or should kind of they continue the same approach of healthy breakfast, healthy lunch, and chipping away at dinner? Um, each person, you know, the, each person is a, is an individual, mm -hmm. and it's important to create an eating plan that works for you and your lifestyle. So if a person likes, you know, having heavy, heavier carb days and lighter carb days, if that works for them, then psychologically it works. If they don't like that, then it's nothing they're going to maintain for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. I, I think the science really, there's not science that I've seen to support that so much. Um, well, well are, you, are you referring to like training low uh, not specifically. That, that's something we'll cover later. Okay. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is, is that you always want to enjoy an eating plan that you would like to maintain for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So to go on a diet is counterproductive because then you'll go off the diet. And that's, like I say, you end up, you know, back where you started. So I guess I don't really have a specific answer for you, except well, that's, that's, that it's conversation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fine. I know that was a general question. So, um, but, but, um, but I think your, your answer was actually extremely helpful and brought up, I think, something that um, people that are listening to this should pay attention to is that you need to have a diet plan that you enjoy and that you're going to stick with because it doesn't do any good to have the best diet in the world if, it's only, if you're only on it for Precisely. a week. Right. Precisely. No, that, that, I think that's very helpful. Um, yeah, and, and if a person wants to work one-on-one -on -one with a sports dietitian, it's a really good idea. There's a website uh, where a person can put in their, you know, they can go up to this referral network. Um, and the website is scan, S-C-A-N-D-P-G dot org. Okay. Scan is a sports and cardiovascular nutrition dietary practice group of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So it's... There's like more than 5,000 dietitians around the country that specialize in sports nutrition. Okay. Yeah. That's a very, very helpful link. So um, we'll throw that up on the podcast resource page uh, as well. But uh, for people that were listening, hopefully they can check that out and find somebody um, in the area, area or somebody that they feel comfortable working with. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think this is uh, probably a related question and, and kind of rolls into the same thing. But um, <clears throat> For a lot of uh, the questions that I get about when people come to me about nutrition um, really tend to center around the different types of, I guess you could call them commercialized or maybe uh, at least named diets, uh, paleo, Atkins, zone diets, those types of things. Um, with all that conflicting information that like available, books, internet, all that kind of stuff, um, how do you 
suggest that runners go about finding that that plan that we talked about that's going to work for them um, on, for for the long term, uh, as opposed to just jumping from diet to diet. Um, how do you propose they find that and, and sort through all that information to find what's going to work for them? Well, a lot of people come to me for help with that. And, and so, again, it's working one-on-one with a, with a sports dietitian. Okay. And saying, you know, these are my goals. These are the foods I like. You know, how can I get the right balance of carbs and proteins and fats and have the energy that I want and not be craving sweets and, and get enough vitamins and minerals? And, and so um, that, you know, individual conversation can be incredibly helpful. Uh-huh. We, we know that diets come in fads. Um, you know, they come, they go. Uh-huh. It's a, a new diet every day. In, in terms of weight reduction, if there's a diet that worked, then everybody in America would be <laughs> right. So clearly none of these diets work in the long run. And we know that the majority of people who lose weight, if they don't gain it back within a year, within three to five years that they've gained it back, plus more. Uh-huh. So... It's not a diet that works. It's a lifestyle. Okay. And it's choosing to front load your calories, to have protein-rich foods at each meal for satiety, to eat foods with fewer wrappers and, um, you know, less, fewer refined foods, uh-huh. have foods that are more closer to the earth, um, and to stay mindful, to listen to the body. And, and before you eat, to ask, does my body need this food? Uh-huh. And many times people have no idea how much they eat. You know, they, they just do a lot of mindless eating, and, and that's a problem. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. So do you recommend with clients that you work with that they, like, uh, track their daily uh, calorie intake? I recommend that they listen to their body. Okay. You know, tracking your intake one or two few times can be very educational. So for educational purposes to learn, like, how many calories do I eat of pasta? You know, right. how much cereal is in my bowl? So to, to measure it, the, the trick is, um, you know, you pour out your cereal into a bowl and then you measure it to know exactly how much you normally portion yourself. Okay. And then you log it into um, like supertracker.usda.gov has a really good, you know, tracking system. Okay. Um, and then you can sort of see where you eat your calories and what kind of calories you're eating, how many of them are sugar, how many of them are fat, um, are you getting enough fruits and vegetables. And, and it can be really educational. But the body is really the best calorie counter. Uh-huh. And you want to eat your breakfast and be fed. And it should last you for about four hours. And then it gets to be lunchtime and you get hungry and you eat your lunch and you're fed. And then that'll last you for another four hours. And then it gets to be three or four in the afternoon and you get hungry. And that's when you have a second lunch. You change that word snack to second lunch and all of a sudden you're eating food. Uh-huh. And then come dinner time, you're under control. And that's when you say, hmm, would I rather be leaner or would I rather eat more? Uh-huh. And that's when the diet starts. That makes, that makes a lot of sense and I think is extremely helpful. Um, and just kind of one final follow-up question to this kind of weight loss general eating um, idea. Um, do you have a, a general percentage of breakdown that you uh, look for clients to um, eat in, sen- in the sense of 30% from carbohydrates, 40% from, from proteins? No. Okay. Um, what, because we don't eat carbs and proteins and fats. We eat food. We okay. eat fruits and vegetables and whole grains and lean proteins and low-fat dairy and healthy fats. 
So I really look in terms of food because that's a lot more helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, when I build a sports diet, I make sure that people are getting uh, one to one and a half grams protein per kilo or 0.5 to 0.75 grams protein per pound of body weight. Um, and so make sure that they're getting meeting their protein needs because protein needs aren't based on percentage of calories. It's really based on, you know, pound of body weight. Okay. And then from there, you know, fill in the blanks with um, a balance of carbs and healthy fats. Okay. I think that that's actually super, super helpful, I think, for people that are building their own diets to, to look at that. I actually, the way you, the process that you break it down where you look for to meet their protein needs based on their, uh, based on their body weight and then fill in the gaps with the carbohydrates, the fats, and obviously using real foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very helpful. Um, so I want to move now on to kind of marathon training because I think that's, um, in particular with our audience, that's a lot of them are training for the marathon or the half marathon and they're, they're very close. Um, so when a runner goes to train for the half, for a marathon, um, how should their diet change as they begin to train for a marathon? Um, do, you, do you find that anything should change from the guidelines that you've uh, mentioned previously to this? Well, they, they're the, your body is your best calorie counter. Mm-hmm. If you do a long run, you get more hungry. If you are running less, you're less hungry. Well, with, with a caveat there, when people take a rest day, if they've been training hard and they take a day off, their body will be just as hungry because the food that normally goes to fuel the run, it goes to refueling depleted muscles. Mm-hmm. So on a rest day, a person will be just as hungry. They're entitled to eat just as much. And if they weigh themselves, the scale will probably go up two or three pounds because for each one ounce of carbohydrate that's stored in the muscles as glycogen, they store about three ounces of water so that there's water weight gain that comes with, with carbo-loading uh-huh. um, or refueling, however you wanna, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, I teach my clients how to really to listen to their body and to do this intuitively. We've been eating intuitively for years, and I know that there are people that make it incredibly complex. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I, I find that, you know, timeline, food buckets, at least three different kinds of food in a bucket, fuel by day, diet by night, that um, <laughs> people do a better job. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think making the process much more simple is uh, is definitely the way to go. And and, I, and again, it actually goes back to that point where you said it's about a lifestyle. And it's about creating a lifestyle that's maintainable and healthy and uh, enjoyable for you. I think it goes back to that as well. Yeah, and in my sports nutrition guidebook or my food guide for marathoners, you know, I, I really give a lot more information. We're just sort of touching the tip of the iceberg here. But if people want additional information, um, I'd, I'd really encourage them to go to my website which is nancyclarkrd.com, and, you know, check out uh, my sports nutrition guidebook or food guide for marathoners. Okay. Yeah, those are, those are very helpful guides. Um, and uh, we'll definitely link those up in our site and link to the, the books, especially the ones uh, that are centered around running and, and marathon training and stuff like that. And we'll talk a little bit about those at the end, too, uh, mm-hmm. just to give people a synopsis of, of the differences between them. <clears throat> um, we touched upon this briefly. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, training low. Um, do you find that, and I guess we can, uh, first let's define uh, what I guess we, we mean by training low, and then we can talk about whether you find it to be an effective method for people training for the marathon. Well, training low would be, would be training with low 
uh, carbohydrate stores. Mm -hmm. So it could be low muscle glycogen or it could be low blood sugar because carbs are used in two ways in the body. One's to fuel the muscles and one's to fuel the brain. And if your blood, the, the sugar in your blood, the carbs in your blood feeds your brain and your brain really controls your ability to exercise at your best. So if you, you know, have dinner at six o'clock at night and then don't eat um, anything and then you get up and you train at eight in the morning, that would be training with low blood sugar. If you do a hard run and don't refuel, and then you do a double workout, then that would be training with low muscle glycogen. Now, there's some research that suggests that, you know, once or twice a week of training low um, can have its benefits mm -hmm. in terms of um, just mental toughness to know, yeah, okay, I can do this, and that there are metabolic changes that might enhance endurance. Uh, that when the body, so on the marathon, if a person's trained low, then on marathon day, that they can better endure the distance of the marathon. Mm -hmm. um, so do you find that with athletes that you've worked with that have done the train low, do you find that they have a harder time recovering um, because of the, the fact that they're doing low carbohydrates, or do you find that something that uh, tends to work out okay for them? Well, you don't want to train low all the time. I mean, it just might be one or two workouts a week. Okay. So it's, it's not a constant diet of low carbs. Because then you you just you can't you just can't train well, you don't get the the quick stuff, the speed stuff. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree one hundred percent. And and when I talk to athletes about potentially doing training low, especially when it comes to long runs, uh, that's when we tend to do it the most. Um, is that it's not a, a a daily thing. It's it's definitely a one or two times a week at most um, mm -hmm. type of process. Um, so that's helpful. Um, so I guess continuing with the marathon. Um, a lot of us runners know about the importance of electrolytes, um, but, but here's a specific question that I have that I uh, just kind of came across recently. Uh, for those athletes that have uh, blood pressure issues, um, sodium intake is obviously a, a concern, uh, but when we talk about taking in electrolytes, especially lots of them during uh, marathon or half marathon training, um, how do you, uh, what's your advice for athletes that may have blood pressure issues that still need to take electrolytes and specifically sodium? Um, and how that can impact uh, their overall health and blood pressure? Well, first of all, we have to look at who needs additional electrolytes. Food is loaded with electrolytes. If you call sodium, instead of an electrolyte, if you just call it salt, mm -hmm. there's a whole uh, public health campaign for us to eat salt. Um, there's more salt in food than there is in most of these electrolyte supplements. Mm -hmm. So Gatorade, 8 ounces of Gatorade might have 110 milligrams of sodium, a slice of bread has 125, a glass of milk has 125. I mean, there's just food. You throw in some spaghetti sauce and you get in 500 milligrams. Mm -hmm. You know, a cup of soup can be 1,000. Mm -hmm. So the amount of electrolytes in food is far higher than what you get in these um, supplements for the most part. Okay. Now, the only people that need to worry about electrolytes are those that are exercising for more than three or four hours in the heat. So that's a very small percentage of runners. Um, so if someone is a salty sweater, and if they're caked with salt, and if they're experiencing muscle cramping, then it might be for them to take in extra salt would be a good idea. Uh -huh. in, in terms of blood pressure, if the person... 
the reality is, is that the less salt you eat, the less salt you sweat, the less salt you need. Um, but if people with high, so if people with high blood pressure, their body can adapt to a lower salt intake. If they want to take in more salt, say if they're doing a, a four-hour run in the heat, then for their breakfast, maybe they add some salt to their oatmeal. Uh-huh. Um, maybe they have some V8 juice. Maybe they um, just have a bagel and peanut butter, which has 500 milligrams of sodium right there. So that if they eat food with some salt in it, then they get that into their system uh-huh. before this long event. And, and I think that um, that could handle the situation. But on a, on a daily basis... It's very unusual for people to get inadequate sodium. Okay. Uh, but so what about, I guess, uh, general, like taking a general electrolyte supplement, like, for example, um, like a nun tab, um, you know, putting one of those or an electrolyte supplement uh, during their workout. Um, do, yeah. you, do you think that that would be harmful to people with potential blood, sh- blood uh, pressure issues, or is that like... I think it's totally worthless. Why would they need it? Okay. No, that's, I mean, I'm yeah. glad you brought it up, because um, yeah. I, I, mean, I know a lot of runners definitely take two or three electrolyte supplements during uh, workouts and races and that type of thing. And it sounds like you, you're saying that it's probably not needed. Yeah. If, I mean, if you're exercising for three or four hours in the heat, um, then that's when you might need additional electrolytes. Mm-hmm. But for the average person who's going out for an hour or two, they don't lose enough salt to become depleted. And if they become dehydrated, what actually happens is the concentration of sodium in their blood actually increases uh-huh. as because they lose proportionally more water than they do salt. Uh-huh. So there's an industry here that's sort of playing on people's ignorance. <laughs> right, right. And, and it's important for people to understand that electrolyte is just a fancy name for minerals. Uh-huh. And high blood pressure is relates to more than just sodium. People want to have a high calcium intake, uh-huh. um, low-fat milk, yogurt, cheese, and they want to have a high intake of fruits and vegetables, high potassium intake. Uh-huh. And, and so there are many ways to address the whole blood pressure situation. No, absolutely. No, I, I think that's great. And I'm glad, I'm glad that I asked because I think it brought up a, a more general topic about the electrolytes. Um, and I think, I think your answer was very helpful for a lot of the runners that may be definitely taking too much. Um, yeah. And, and in my sports nutrition guidebook or in my food guide for marathoners, I have tables that show how much sodium there is in food mm-hmm. versus how much you get in these uh, commercial products. And yep. It's kind of shocking what people pay money for when they get food. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. I guess actually along the same lines, um, moving into kind of energy gels um, and I guess carbohydrates during the race itself and during training, um, what are your suggestions uh, for, I guess, how many calories per hour or how many gels per, I guess, you know, for how long they're running uh, do you suggest? Because I find that runners typically take way too many. Um, And I'm not sure if you'll feel the same or if you have, uh, if your recommendation is something uh, closer to what people are actually doing. Well, there are those that take too many, and there are those that take too little. <laughs> you know, they sort of divide, split pretty evenly. Mm-hmm. Um, what a person eats before the event will last them for about an hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they probably want to be targeting 150, 200, 250 calories per hour. Okay. And, and some of it depends on their body size and how intensely they're exercising. So if they're really fast runners, it's, it's hard to take in fluid, take, take in calories. Um, if they're plodding along, then it's far easy, 
easier to, I mean, they can bring a picnic basket with them just about. Right. But the body wants water and it wants carbohydrates. So something like a sports drink is water plus carbs mm -hmm. in one easy swig. A gel, you need to make sure that you consume it with water. Mm -hmm. Then you get, again, water plus carbs. Or you could have water and orange sections. You get water and banana, water and um, or a chunk of Fig Newton. Or, I mean, there are many ways to get water and carbs. Okay. And, and so it's really individual. I know that many people don't like the gels. Um, it gives them intestinal distress, or they just don't like the taste of them. And they're very happy having jelly beans and gummy bears and gumdrops and marshmallows and sugar. It's just sugar in another name. Mm -hmm. and, and it works. So I'd be making sure that they just hit their target of getting, you know, 200, 250 calories an hour. And to figure out how much of that is from sports drink and how much of that is from, you know, jelly beans or Tootsie Rolls or dried fruit, figs, dried pineapple, you know, uh -huh. dried fruits can be very good. And then if they know their sweat rate by weighing themselves before and after an hour of exercise, then they know how much sweat that they lose, and then they know um, what they can target in terms of replacing the sweat losses for water. So if somebody loses two pounds an hour, one pound is 16 ounces, two pounds is 32 ounces, that's a quart. Uh -huh. So then they know, okay, eight ounces every 15 minutes. And that's what their target is. And if they know that they need 200 calories an hour, then, you know, if they were to have four glasses of a sports drink every 15 minutes, then that would give them their 200 calories. Okay. That's a, but yep. how many hours can you do that in a row before you get sugared out? So right. that's where variety works. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, definitely. So it sounds like because of the, you know, what do you eat before typically lasts uh, at least an hour, hour and a half. You suggest probably starting, do you suggest starting the intake a little early um, and uh, maybe taking, a, obviously, Gatorade uh, early and then uh, a gel 45 to 60 minutes to, to boost that? Or is it kind of, uh, I guess, racer dependent? Well, it's racer dependent, and it really depends on how much breakfast that they've had. Okay. If, if people like, oh, I don't want to eat before, you know, this 10K race um, or before this half marathon, mm -hmm. then they probably want to start fueling earlier. Um, about half of runners, 20 to 50% of runners have intestinal problems. Okay. And so that there are really conversations for those that don't want to eat and they need to do a better job of fueling during and having extra food the day before versus those that can chow down on breakfast and, you know, have uh, munch on candy bars along the course. Yeah, no, uh, great, great advice. Um, so I think that pretty much kind of covers all our, our marathon questions. Um, so I want to uh, actually just go into the specific books that you've uh, mentioned um, and make sure that we get all the ones that are probably the most pertinent to the runners. Um, you've mentioned your uh, food guide for marathoners um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then uh, your sports nutrition guidebook is probably your, more, your more, most famous one. Um, what are the differences between the two for, for athletes that are uh, maybe are, are looking to pick up one? Like which one, I guess, what do they cover and, and what should runners expect? Both of the books have sections on day-to-day -day eating on the run. How do you manage the American food supply? You know, when you're busy and just grabbing food. Mm -hmm. How do you eat a balanced sports diet? They have sections on sports nutrition, fueling up, fueling during, refueling, supplements, energy bars. They both have sections on weight. How do you lose weight and have energy to run? Um, and then my sports nutrition guidebook has bunches of recipes 
you know, um, family-friendly recipes, nothing weird, fewer than six ingredients for people that don't cook. Uh-huh. And the um, marathon book has a, has a few recipes. The marathon book I really wrote for um, novice marathoners, team and training, joints and motion, you know, the run for research, all these people that are novices who have never run a marathon before. And it's just quick and easy, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Uh-huh. So it's a quick and easy read as compared to the my sports nutrition guidebook, which is more in depth. Uh-huh. And, um, but e- both of the books have an index. So you just, if your topic is sugar cravings, you just go to the index and look up sugar cravings and you can get the information that you're looking for. But for someone who just wants quick and easy, tell me what to do, I recommend the Food Guide for Marathoners. For someone who really is interested in nutrition, wants more of an in-depth book, then certainly my sports nutrition guidebook would be the better bet. Okay. No, I think that's very helpful for people to know because I think that gives them two, two good options. Um, and then I, I know you've written other books. Is, are those the two that you would probably recommend most to, to runners or there, do you have another have, couple? No, I have a food guide for new runners, mm-hmm. getting it right from the start, which is really for the, the person who's just starting to, you know, walk, run, walk, jog, run, mm-hmm. and then building up to say like the half marathon distance. Um, so those would really be my best. I have a food guide for cyclists, and if, you, if any of the runners are parents of soccer players, I've got a food guide for soccer, and um, those would be my, my primary books. Okay, and then you also mentioned you do consulting. Um, is that all in person in the Boston area, or do you do online consulting as well? The majority of my counseling is face-to-face in the Boston area. You know, every so often I do some phone stuff, um, depending on how much time I have available, mm-hmm. but... In general, I, I recommend that people find a local sports dietitian. Okay. Again, that would be going to the scandpg.org website because um, there's a lot to be said. I, I learn a lot by looking at a person. Mm-hmm. And I can just look at them and see if they're, tell if they're protein deficient or look at them and say, oh, they're way too thin or look at them and go, oh, they really do have some fat to lose. <laughs> right, right. So, so that there's a lot of visual stuff that goes into a nutrition assessment. No, that's good to know. Um, and so, again, the website, your website is nancyclarkrd.com, correct? That's right. Nancy Clark, RD is registered dietitian.com. Oh, cool. Um, so I definitely recommend uh, people definitely check out Nancy's website. It definitely has a lot of great inter- uh, information. Um, it also has uh, the information about her books as well, so you can check that out. And uh, I definitely recommend if you're interested in nutrition, and, and obviously you are if you're listening this far into this interview, uh, to pick up uh, both her sports nutrition guidebook. I know I've read it. It's, it's a fantastic resource. Um, and her food guide for marathoners, which is, as Nancy pointed out, a, a great step-by-step process for kind of the no-thinking marathon nutrition approach. Um, Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time today to, to chat with us and impart some, some great wisdom and knowledge for everybody that listened. Um, it's really appreciated. Well, thanks, Jeff. And, and to the listeners, just remember that food is fuel. It's one of life's pleasures, but it's incredibly powerful. It can be powerfully bad and hurt your health and hurt your performance, or it can be powerfully good and really give you um, much better health, invest in your health, and really give you the energy that you need for top performance. Oh, that, was, that was a great way to end it and to, to definitely sum it up and, and reward all those who have listened all the way. So thank you. <laughs>